perspective. We, uh, we, need, uh, we, not, we need perspective. Some of you may remember that show uh, a few years ago. I, I don't know if it's still running or not. Uh, Undercover Bosses. Do you remember that show? I, I remember uh, watching uh, one of the early episodes, probably, I don't know, eight years ago, ten years ago. And uh, it was the, the, uh, the owner, the, the executive of, uh, of White Castle, you know. Or, or that's the Midwest version of crystals or crystals, as my friends say. Uh, White Castle, the little burger with a little gooey whatever that is, right? Uh, and so the, the owner, the manager says, uh, I'm going to get down in the, in the, the down and dirty. I'm going to get down and understand the business from the ground up. Sometimes you, to get perspective, you've got to get down, right? You've got to get down low. So he does the jobs of the low entry level at White Castle. And what does he learn? Well, he learns there's a lot of problems in the company. Uh, he learns that uh, the morale, as you might imagine, is pretty low among the, the, among the, the employees of, of White Castle. He even, at one point, if you saw the episode, he, he was in the factory where they have the little, little hamburger buns, and he through you know, his mechanical error, he destroyed tons of these buns you know, and cost the company tons of money, him being the owner uh, of White Castle. But he came down, he got down, and he learned some perspective. Sometimes you have to get up to get perspective, right? Um, if you, uh, you know, if we remember Hurricane Katrina or uh, Hurricane Michael just recently in Panama City, um, the, the governor comes, or the president, if it's big enough, comes, and you can see the, the tragedy, the devastation, but what do you do? You, you get up high, right? You get in the helicopter, you fly over, so you can see, wow, this is, the damage is severe. You see the flooding, you see the wind, you, you get perspective from up high, and you, you see the same things, but from a different angle, from, from understanding, by getting above and Sometimes we need to come down to the ground. Sometimes we need to get above to see. Um, but all of us need, um, need to get God's perspective on our life and understanding um, because we lack perspective. Or we have it and we lose perspective. Um, our, our lenses, if you've been to the uh, eye doctor, uh, if you wear contacts like me or glasses, you know, you do the eye exam and you say, is one better than two? two better than three you know that thing I hate that thing I'm, I'm never quite certain I'm like I don't know try it again you know and, and you're three better than four five well we're, we're in that lens that's fuzzy you know it's not so clear we, we can only see the big letters across the top we can't see the the rows down and that's our perspective on life our sin has has tainted has blurred the lenses and so we need perspective we need to understand life um, Paul's a great person to teach us about perspective. Um, we saw a little bit of that last week when we, we learned of his situation in a Roman prison. So we're going to learn tonight from Paul, actually from the Lord, through Paul, with some perspective that hopefully will help us as we navigate life and challenges and difficulties. First, first perspective from Paul. There is a goal uh, more uh, important in life than self. Uh, there's, a, there's something more important than our own self-advancement. He says it in verse 12 very plainly. I want you to know, brothers, talking to the church at Philippi, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Paul's chief concern is that the gospel be advanced. That's what he wants. That's his desire. That's his longing. That's why he's writing this pastoral letter to a church he helped really plant and get started. He's writing a letter back to them. And he's saying, you've heard about what's happened to me. Let me tell you, it's actually happened 
to advance the gospel. He said it last week to end our prayer, or end his prayer in verse 11. He said, I pray this love would grow in you and it would grow in wisdom and discernment and be filled with righteousness to the praise and the glory of God. And we said that was our chief end. The praise and glory of God. Those are working together. God's desire, His heart, is that the, He is glorified as the gospel gains ground and advances and darkness and sin is pushed back. And Paul is saying that's implied. This is, this is the goal. Uh, that's, that's a pretty easy thing to say in church. I mean, we kind of believe that, right? God's glory, we, we're here, we want the gospel to advance. Um, but that's a pretty radical thing to say in American culture, isn't it? Um, you know, to say that above all else, you know, we want the gospel advancement over self-advancement. Uh, if we're honest, I'm not sure we can say that, but certainly the culture thinks we're kind of crazy to say that. I mean, we are in a me culture, right? I mean, we're in selfie culture. It's about self, it's about me, it's about this is my life, this is my shot, my, my world. You know, I'm going to live my life. No one's going to tell me how to do my thing. I mean, that's sort of the air we breathe in. To even challenge that is a bit arrogant. Uh, it's almost assumed. Um, my career, my goals, my money, my kids, um, you know, my agenda. You know, you look out for number one. Um, it's what I deserve. Um, that, that's just the air we breathe. Paul's saying, I'm in this situation but it's okay because it served the ultimate purpose and goal to which I'm alive for. That's the gospel advancement, also known as the praise and glory of God. Man, we need to be recalibrated. Um, but it's easy to pick on the culture because the culture doesn't get that. But even in the Christian circles, um, we talk about uh, nominal Christianity. Um, what we mean by that is when we come and we're sort of here, um, but we're not really all in, you know. Uh, it's a way of, uh, of sometimes saying, um, you know, I, I, I really have the same goal as the culture, self-advancement. But I think, particularly in our southern culture, I think the church can actually help me towards that goal. So I come, I check the box, uh, maybe church uh, boosts my morale, uh, maybe church improves my social circles. Uh, maybe my kids are a little bit more obedient because they've been sitting here. Um, but the goal is still the same. The goal is about me and my career and my life and my goals and my money. And the church just, Jesus is helpful, and so he kind of adds to that goal, right? You know that narrative? If you don't know, we live kind of in that world as well, particularly. Actually, it's interesting, if some of you aren't from the South, um, one of the things I appreciate about uh, visiting churches outside the South uh, or meeting Christians in other parts of, of the world even, uh, is that you don't have that so much. Um, my brother's lived in Seattle for 20 years. Every time I go visit him, I, I really enjoy it because you meet Christians and they're like Christians, you know? There's no social benefit to being a Christian. In fact, there's persecution or there's uh, being made fun of or being picked on. There's no, like, benefit to society, to their world, uh, from being in the church. Um, and so they have to really wrestle with identity and calling. Uh, it's costly to follow Jesus. Uh, they've had to know it's really about his glory uh, and the gospel advancement. Uh, it, it gets even worse. Um, there's even a, a brand of, our, of Christianity where 
um, that uh, implicit goal of maybe the nominal Christian to, to come to church to gain, to come to church to get self-advancement, has become explicit where the goal of church and Jesus is to add to our life through wealth and health and prosperity. Right? We see this a lot in, in, in TV. We see it a lot in, in, in certain contexts where Jesus, uh, the gospel, uh, you know, Jesus kind of become like our divine bellhop, you know. <laughs> he, we kind of ring because we want health, wealth, and fame and success. And so our chief goal, our chief desire, our chief advancement, and this is largely an American gospel, um, is that Jesus, we get Jesus to make our life fulfilled in every way we want. So we do get the career we wanted, and we do get the advancement we wanted, and we do get the house we wanted, and we get everything we wanted, and we sort of baptize it with Jesus' language in Bible. Um, that's not what Paul's talking about. Paul's saying, um, you know, uh, there's something's happened to me, but it's served this ultimate goal that's so deep embedded that I can actually deal with it. It's the advancement of the gospel. Um, I don't know if you saw the article this week, uh, Christina uh, Today, uh, that, that Burkina Faso, that West African country, um, there was a terrorist uh, attack. Um, uh, six Christians, including the pastor, were, were killed by an extreme group. That seems like a weekly occurrence. And, um, and I read the article, and, and the pastor knew that, that trouble was coming. Um, and he said this, uh, I would rather... I would rather die for the faith than leave the village and my people um, because of danger. He said, hearing of the threat, he said, In the face of blind hatred, let us gather to ask God to give us strength to spread his love. Can you believe that? He heard about pressure. He heard about extremism. He heard about threats to their life. And he said, you know, I could leave, but I've found something that's more valuable than my life. It's actually a greater goal. It's the glory of God. The event. So I'm going to stay, and it might cost me. Uh, and even while we stay, let's spread the love of Christ. Um, that's motivating, but it's also such a far cry from our world. It's hard to know what to do with that, isn't it? I mean, we don't even have a, we don't have a context But what we can begin to learn, what we can learn, and Paul can teach us and nudge us and our perspective is to check our own hearts. What is that we're about? How how are we using Jesus? How are we manipulating Jesus for our own goals and benefits? Or are we growing like Paul to say, yeah, it's happened, there's challenges, but it's okay because it's for this advancement of the gospel. It's for the praise of and the glory of God. Man, we have a long way to go. But I pray that will be true. That's the first perspective. Paul has an ultimate goal of the advancement of the gospel. Second perspective Paul gives us. Second perspective is that circumstances don't determine gospel advancement. Our circumstances don't predict them. Verse 12 again. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has served to advance the gospel. What has happened to me is shorthand for my circumstances. I want you to know my current circumstances have served to advance the gospel. Let's remember where Paul is. Paul's 800 miles away from Philippi in a Roman prison. Um, He's probably in in house arrest of some sort. Uh, In the first century, prisoners were not there. That was not the punishment. Uh, That was too costly, they thought, to keep them there. They had other punishments. It was a holding pattern. 
until the trial came, until they judged them, and then they gave them their sentencing. But Paul has been there long enough, as we mentioned last week, that the Philippian church sent Epaphrodites with some money and some support and encouragement. So he's been there a while in prison waiting and waiting and waiting in arrest. And he's saying, my circumstances, prison, has actually served to advance the gospel. It doesn't compute very well, does it? I mean, we think bad circumstances, bad, bad outcome, right? Something's going on bad, it can't be for good. It's bad, it's not good. They're opposites. Paul said something really bad, something really difficult, circumstances look terrible, and yet this has served this goal that I have given my life to, namely the advancement of the gospel. Um, and this is where we all should be convicted. We, we assume we know what God's up to, don't we? Like, I have an idea. I want to glorify you, but I want to glorify you in this way. I want you to give me this, God, so I can glorify you this way. If you give me this certain job, I can live a certain way, and then I can glorify you by these ways. Or give me the, the family situation in this way, I can glorify you this way, and you'll be honored. Or in this situation, or give me these gifts, and we sort of have it mapped out. <laughs> Unfortunately for us, God rarely does it that way, right? He does it in many, many other ways. Um, but not that way often. Theologically, we're saying, and, and without using the language, Paul doesn't say it this way, but we're talking about the sovereignty of God. Paul's saying, I'm in this prison, and yet it's serving the advancement of God. God is rules and reigns over all things. God's not caught off guard. God's like, oh no, Paul's in prison. What are we going to do now? The mission's over. I thought we were going to plant churches. Shoot. That's not what he's doing. God's actually going to use these situations, even purposing these situations, for the advancement of the gospel. Um, when we take God's sovereignty down to the ground level, we call it his providence. His providence. That's the way he takes everyday circumstances and situations and trials and difficulties we go through to work out his plan and his will and so that circumstances don't determine the gospel advancement. God uses circumstances to advance the gospel and to bring joy to our lives. Um, boy, that's, that sounds really easy, but that's really hard to believe. You know, I, mean, I lost my job. How is that going to advance the gospel? <laughs> I talked to someone recently. They had just had a, a really bad breakup. You know, how does, how does that fit in your great master plan? You know, we've gone through difficulties and death. And, and Paul says, this situation is really bad. It's bringing about good. Boy, we should wrestle with that. How, how does it do that? How does he do that? S same point. Uh, he gives us how this happens. It served to advance the gospel. Verse 13 through 15. 14, excuse me. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. How is this circumstance played for the good? Can you imagine this? He says, it's become known to the whole imperial guard about Christ. The imperial guard here, if Paul is in Rome, which we think he is, he's in the, the, he's in the governor's headquarters. The imperial guard's not one guy holding on to Paul. It's the whole area. It's the, it's the lowest official to the highest official. It's everyone in the household of the governor knows Paul is in prison because of Christ, because of Jesus. He's not in prison because he stole something. He's not in prison because he's a murderer. He's in prison because of Jesus. They know it. Word is spreading, Paul says. 
It looks bad, but you know what's happening? Everyone around this place knows why I'm here. Christ's name is being glorified. Isn't that great? They know it's for Christ. And he says, and all the rest. In the household, in the empirical guard, and all the rest. It's even spreading into Rome. Can you imagine? I'm writing you to Philippi. I know you're worried about me. It's kind of scary. It's kind of overwhelming. But guess what? The great city of Rome is knowing about Jesus because of my chains. The advancement of the gospel, Paul says. Um, last Saturday morning, not, not yesterday, last Saturday morning, my kids came to the living room. It was about 7 o'clock. And uh, it's funny, but it's not funny. It, it's not, they came in, and uh, I was just weeping, like bawling, like ugly cry, just crying, you know. And I was watching this video, and uh, the kids came in there, and they're like, oh, my gosh, is, is that okay? This is not normal. What's going on? And um, I had found out right I, the day before um, that a, a good friend of mine from seminary uh, was, uh, was dying. He was dying. Uh, and, and I read that morning, uh, that, that morning on, f- on Facebook that he'd actually, he passed away. Um, and um, I, I watched a video he had done. He was uh, out west coast. He was a booming, financially booming. Uh, his career was a tech guy, west coast, and he felt called to, he said, I, I want to glorify God with my life. And, and he felt for him the best way to do that, not for everyone, but for him was to, to preach and teach. And he was a gifted preacher and teacher, so... I met him in St. Louis at Covenant Seminary. We had class together, wonderful guy. He went back to West Coast, and he, he planted a church in Alaska, uh, Redeemer Presbyterian Church, not too unlike our church. And he's two years into this church plant with a wife and a three-year-old daughter and had a cough and went to the doctor. And uh, stage four lung cancer. In just a few months, he, was, he would die. And uh, he moved from Alaska, and while I was crying, he moved from Alaska to Tacoma, Washington, where he was from. And uh, while he was there, he went to the church that he'd been at. And this was a huge church. And the pastor, who he knew, said, hey, w- would you be willing to, to sit on stage with me and talk about death and what it means to live for Christ and to die for Christ? And he said, sure. So I'm watching this video of him, and he's up there, and I know him. I sat when we talked, and I'm watching him say, you know, I thought I knew I was going to glorify God. I was going to go to seminary. I was going to preach, and I was going to be this. I gave up this lucrative career, um, but I wanted to reach people with the gospel. And he said, I've realized, even today, this huge church, this video online, I'm reaching and communicating to more people than I ever would or could in my little small church in Alaska. He had a plan, a vision for how he was going to glorify God like we do. A really good vision, a really good plan. One I wish that God would allow him to continue to do, personally. But God had a different plan. And God used and spread the gospel. It's, it's there online. You can watch it. Andrew Miller. For all to see that Christ might be glorified. Paul says, um, this has actually turned out well, because people all over the Imperial Guard are hearing about who Jesus is. Second thing, consequence of Paul's imprisonment, he says in verse 14, he says this, um, it's, it served to advance the gospel, uh, the Imperial Guard's hearing, and most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Isn't that weird? So, 
the, the non-believing world's hearing about it, and other Christians are being emboldened to talk about it because they've seen what's happened to me. That's weird. That's odd, isn't it? They're seeing my chains, and they're more bold. They, should they be more bold because their boldness is going to get them in chains like it did Paul? What's going on here? How's this working? This is not how you plan it, how you draw it up. Um, everyone's worried, you know, the media, measles, is worried about it. You know, it's California, it's outbreak, it's uh, get, get vaccinated, be prepared. Uh, why? Because uh, I don't know much about the measles, but apparently it's pretty contagious. It spreads really easily. It moves along and passed on from one to another. Uh, it's contagious. Paul's boldness is, is contagious. Um, if, you, if you play baseball or been around baseball, we say in baseball, um, you know, hitting is contagious. You heard that? Like you'll watch a game and it's like the most boring thing you've ever been to for five innings. It's like zero to zero. Nobody scores, nobody hits, it's like, oh. And then all of a sudden, you'll score like seven runs in one inning. And you're like, how did that happen? Like, what, what, did y'all just all of a sudden wake up and start playing baseball? And you realize what happened is one guy got a hit, and then another guy got a hit, and the other guy's in the dugout's like, we can do this, let's get a hit. And we get a hit, and then there's some confidence building, right? Let's get a hit, let's go up there and take some swings. He, and then it, it, it kind of builds, it snowballs, right? It goes like this, and it's contagious, and all of a sudden, you look around, you got seven runs on the board. Paul's in prison, but his boldness and his suffering and his contentment and his joy is contagious. Do you know that in your story? Like, do you know that with other Christians? Have you seen Christians that suffer well? And you're like, I don't know what it is, but I want to be like them. <laughs> like, th this whole sharing my faith thing might get me in trouble like Paul, but there's something so compelling, it's rubbed off on me. And I want to do it. That's what it says. They became confident because of his chains to speak more boldly about Christ. The, the goal of Paul's chains by Rome was to squelch the movement. Let's eradicate the radicals. Instead, it's contagious. Joy is contagious. If you've studied church history, this is how it works. Almost. Every time there's a persecution of the church, there's some a governor, Nehru, there's someone says, we're ending Christianity, what happens? China, no more. The gospel's going to end, what happens? The church goes underground, and they start whispering about Jesus. And it's like the measles, you know. <laughs> it just spreads. It's, it's contagious. Why? Because when you see that the worst thing can happen, imprisonment or death, and that doesn't stop your faith, you say, I want that. Because we're all looking for something to give life meaning and purpose, right? That's happened in our church. I, um, you know, last year we had a, a couple who had a miscarriage, a significant one. It was really hard. And my faith grew from their faith. Uh, Ryan and Leanne, uh, not to put you on the spot, but uh, when Ryan had the brain bleed last year, I was scared, devastated, and yet I was so encouraged because they walked through it with grace and faith. Uh, the Naps just went through Bryce's surgery. What a trying thing, a major surgery of a child with special needs. And yet they, they trusted the Lord and they saw their faith, right? And once I'm like, who are these people? How do they do this? How do they pull this off? I just want to give up, throw in the towel. What's going on here? 
It's that the circumstances don't determine the glory of God. God gets glory in our trials and circumstances. And then we see it, and then it rubs off. And it becomes contagious. And that's the way joy and contentment work. God wants to use your trials. He wants to use your loneliness. He wants to use your uncertainty. He wants to use your pain and your difficulty. He wants to use your circumstances and trials to advance the gospel. Final perspective, briefly. Um, Not only does Paul say it's the gospel is the goal and circumstances don't determine gospel advancement, but finally, not even sin, not even sin can thwart gospel advancement. 15 through 17, Paul says, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, not knowing that I am here for the defense of the gospel. That knowing that I am here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. It's remarkable what he says here. Um, We'll have to nuance this a little bit because God's not the author of sin. God's not okay with sin. Um, But Paul's basically saying, I'm in chains and there's two groups of people. And one of them are preaching the gospel. Um, They've been emboldened by my my faith and my trials. And they're preaching out of goodwill, out of love. And they're sharing about the message of Jesus. Um, Man, we, we need that. Isn't that good news? Don't you need other Christians sharing the gospel and encouraging you? Um, uh, Ryan and I were part, of, were part of a church planning group, about 15 or 20 pastors throughout the country, uh, and we share stories sometimes we hear about church being planted in California and in Miami and Boston. And every time we hear, we're like, yes, do it, go for it. And I'm encouraged, the gospel. There's this motivation. And Paul has people doing that. And so he's like, yes, let's take this thing, let's go. But then there's, uh, there's others, right? There's another group of preacher, people, and they preach out of rivalry, it says, out of envy. So Paul, not only is he in chains, but they're, they're pouring salt on the wound. These are supposed to be brothers in the Lord, but they're actually preaching in rivalry. Uh, I have a friend that's an that's a, a army chaplain, and he jokes, and it, I haven't found this to be true of this church, but this is certainly true of how Christians often operate. He says, the difference between his job and my job, he says, is that I get shot from the front. <laughs> That's his joke. That you know in military who the, who the army is, who the battle is. Um, but often, Christians, unfortunately, one another, we, uh, Michael prayed it, we, we, we attack from behind, we gossip, we slander, we we spread rumors. We don't deal with each other. And that's what's happening to Paul. Paul's in prison. And so people that should be on his team, the preaching from rivalry uh, and envy and attacking. Uh, verse 15, that word rivalry is used. Again, it's used in verse 17. It's two different words. Uh, the first one's more specific. They're competing. The second word, rivalry, here, we translate rivalry, is really more generic. It means selfish ambition. The same word that will get used in chapter 2. They're preaching out of selfish ambition. In other words, there's an anti-Pauline faction going on um, that's trying to work against Paul. 
Paul's got his thing, and they know him. He's a big name, and they're jealous of it. And so they're going to preach to try to divide. It's, it's essentially the, the first church split here, early church split. Sometimes I laugh. Maybe you've said this. People say, like, I want to just get back to the church of Acts. You know, you hear that? Or there's these, like, missional community groups. Like, I want to be like it was in Acts, you know. And I, I know what they mean. There's some good to that. Like, let's get back to the basics. But I'm like, man, these churches were jacked up in Acts, you know. I mean, here they've got a church split. Um, the Corinthian church has got incest, uh, sexual morality in the church. Uh, the Christians in the church of Corinthians are having lawsuits against one another. And so let's not glamorize that. Let's just name that's the human heart. And un- uh, without the grace of God, that's what we do to one another. We attack from behind, and we divide, and we split, and we break apart. And so sin is working, even in our midst, even in good churches. Hopefully we're planting a good one. Sin's working in our midst. So what is Paul going to do? Is sin going to win? What is Paul going to do? Some encouragement from one group, persecution from his own people in another group. Look at verse 18. What then, only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed... And in that, I rejoice. word rejoice, it's the word grace. I mean, yeah, it's the word joy. Rejoice and joy. In that, I have joy. How does that work? I mean, rivalry and envy, those are sin. That's not good, right? Paul will say in the next chapter, don't do anything out of rivalry, chapter 2. He says in in Romans and, and in Galatians that envy is a work of the flesh and of the devil, and yet these guys are doing it. They're preaching with the wrong motivation and the wrong attitude. And Paul says, despite that, what then? What am I going to do? Christ, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. Sin is not being advocated here or encouraged. But Paul's saying there's something greater than sin. God's commitment is to build his church. And sin has consequences, sin has impact, sin divides and distorts. It doesn't make us very appealing to the world when we're tearing each other apart. But God's mission is even greater and stronger than even our own sin. And so Paul says, I can be content, I can even have joy, that they may be preaching it just to spite me. If they are preaching the message of Jesus, life, death, and resurrection, with wrong motives, I can rejoice in that. Man, that's a lot of courage, isn't it? That's a, that's a lot of character, I mean. That's a lot of substance to say that. I don't know if I'd be saying that. I'd be mad. I'd be angry. I'd be looking for a way to take them down, you know. How can we get some people outside the walls to go over there and break apart something, start a coup? And Paul says, Christ is being preached. Finish with this little story here. I have a friend. The uh, point is, we don't know what God's doing. A friend, uh, also in seminary, um, it's like I have more friends in seminary when I preach than I actually had in seminary. But the friend from seminary, and uh, he was uh, in the military. And he ended up in Guam. He's not a Christian, came from a tough home. And uh, he, was, he was in the military in Guam, and uh, he met a girl. You've heard this story. It's a girl. And uh, she's a Jehovah's Witness. And so her dad and mom said, like, he, this guy can't come around unless he becomes a Jehovah's Witness. So she preaches at him, you know, evangelism, dating. She preaches, and guess what? He converts to Jehovah's Witness. False gospel, false teaching, false view of God, false everything. 
But as he's in uh, Jehovah's Witness, he, he does have a Bible, some, some sort, right? And so he starts reading it. <laughs> and what happens when he reads the Bible? He reads Romans, and he reads Galatians and Ephesians. He reads the words of Jesus, and he converts. He becomes a Christian through the Jehovah's Witness. So he takes this message of the gospel back to his girlfriend, who hears the gospel, who converts to Christianity. He tells a story about his uh, now father-in-law running down the streets of Guam with a butcher knife, trying to, trying to kill him because he converted his daughter from Jehovah's Witness. He, they both are now Christian. He feels called to ministry. He goes to seminary, meet him at Covenant Seminary. Now he's a pastor doing very well in New Jersey, preaching the gospel. Is that your evangelism strategy through to Jehovah's Witnesses? Is that, is that a good plan for us to reach our community? You can't make this stuff up, right? It's sin. It's not right. It's false religion. It's not true. What they say is not true about the Trinity, about Jesus. And yet God uses sin and false realities to bring himself glory and bring himself honor. That should make a huge weight of relief for us. <laughs> we should both eradicate envy and rivalry and, and squelch out division in the church. And then we should rest with a sigh of relief that our God is committed to the gospel. Because it goes back to point one. Our greatest goal is the glory and the praise of Jesus. Paul is demonstrating to this people, this pastoral letter, that it's not just the words of Jesus, but it's the ways of Jesus. Yeah, it's not right, they shouldn't be doing that, but I can take confidence that God is at work. Let's demonstrate character, let's demonstrate contentment, that God uses circumstances, even sin against us. For his ends. Man, that's, a, that's quite a powerful gospel. May we put that first and foremost in our hearts. Let's see what God does. You might be surprised. Let's pray. Jesus, so much more to say. A lot of things to express. And yet, it's good to know. It's good to know that um, we are to be diligent and to be strategic and to be winsome and to be faithful and also to trust that your ways are simply not our ways and that you got a lot of surprises up your sleeve for us. And uh, I'm thankful for that because it's not just other sins that we have to overcome. It's our own sin. And we pray in this church, we pray for us that you would work even despite us for your praise and for your glory. And we believe you will. May you be glorified, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you please stand as we sing this offertory song together.